With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everybody? Finally back, and we got a great interview sitting down today with Gus Castaros. I hope I didn't butcher the last name. I'm really not good with last names, Gus. It's all good, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I guess I'm a little bit better than uh, what you guys have had to deal with over the last few days. Yeah, it's been a, a little bit different. Like I said to you, just before we jumped on, a little hectic. Now it's just unpacking everything. But no, I'm glad we didn't get hit with the the full bore effect. I mean, we, we went through Dorian last year, and that was five days without power. And then in 2003, we had uh, Hurricane Juan, which where I lived at, we left it was about power for two and a half weeks. So it's uh, it's nice oh. to be missed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that too. Yes. Well, I wanted to have you on it. It all stemmed from a conversation I was having with someone over the fact that they said that Freddie for the Leafs basically, you know, is not a good goaltender and you need to get rid of him and trade him off because, you know, he's not stopping the puck. And I had brought up your argument that I heard once, and I think it was when you were on the Steve Dangle podcast, you know, that essentially if you have a defender, you know, defending and they let a shot through, you know, essentially they failed and your defense has failed. And the argument was, uh, well, you know, goalies are going to get shots and they should save them all and my retort to that was of course you know goalies can't score goals either so they can stop every shot but one but they're not going to win and uh you know then it led to us talking and of course i wanted to have you on and let's all elaborate on that one just for a moment because a lot of people are throwing heat freddie anderson's way and kind of want to show him the door which maple leaf fans seem to do with good players in general I'm wondering what your thoughts are on, I guess, the argument that I presented. And then, of course, so you said you walked back on that just a little bit. But, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, we all have our own particular learning curve, right? So we'll say something and then we'll learn something that kind of undoes uh, the idea that you were trying to present. And you see, at the time, and I think if, if I was trying to clarify properly, it was if you're designing a defensive system, where the object is to allow low percentage shots, that is a fail of a defensive system. So if you have a system that technically um, allows shots just because you clog up the middle, but you you give up uh, low percentage shots, I can't see how that be a success. That's not what proper defense is right now. And we should really just try to change what we consider defense. And this is particular to the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. Um, it's not just shot blocking. It's not just keeping the puck out of the net. Active defense is getting the puck back when you don't have it. So in a defensive system, if you have somebody trying to get over the blue line and you can, as a team or as an individual, push that player off and regain the puck, that's a success. If that player ends up taking a shot on goal, it, I don't want to use the word failure, but it penetrated the defensive system and now the team has to reset. So now you're in a different state of mind. So when I initially made that comment, it was, um, it was specifically because the Leafs were always trying to uh, give up low percentage shots. And that's not how you design a system. You need to design the system to be able to get that puck back consistently. 
Now, having walked that back a bit, I don't mind if the only option that a player has, because the defense has either stifled them or he's going to turn the puck over, allows a low percentage shot. So I, I, I should walk that statement back a bit because what I've learned over the course of the years is that it's okay to allow for something like that if it's a fail-safe because your defense and your players are adamantly um, working the play to actively get the puck back, regain possession, transition out, and then score lots of goals on the other side. hope that made sense. No, no, it definitely does. And one example that actually jumps to mind about regaining the puck and uh, you know engaging a player is the Liam Foodie goal against the Columbus Blue Jackets where Martin Marinson was basically between Freddie Anderson and the corner where Foodie was with the puck, and he didn't engage, didn't retrieve the puck, you know, didn't put any pressure on. And, of course, we all know what happened. The goal went in, and that ended up being the backbreaker for the Maple Leafs. Um, in that sense there, it's, it's exactly what you're saying. You know, if you don't regain that possession, then basically that, that there's no – you know, you have no pressure, you're not getting the puck back and you're not doing it, so there's the fail right there. But I agree in the sense, too, uh, I guess a low percentage shot uh, at the end of it, if you stifle them that much and they're just throwing it at the net to kind of keep the you know possession in the zone, that may be the only option. But um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are, especially for the Maple Leafs. Um, they don't seem like a huge shot suppression team. Um, you know, Freddie Anderson kind of works really hard between those pipes. Um, do you not agree that a team should focus more on shot suppression and maybe the Maple Leafs should focus in that area a little bit more? Well, I guess it kind of depends on the on their definition of what defense is. And I think that the Leafs, I think this is a bit of a, a jumbled concept. For me, the Leafs are trying to play defense the way that I just described it as a definition earlier. They're not trying to, quote-unquote, defend. They're trying to get the puck back. And when they get the puck back, they're trying to transition out with speed. And we see... Um, the success rate of how they can actually dominate when they're pushing north and south. So uh, the defense itself, I think the concept that they're trying to use is we're not too concerned about shot suppression as a whole. We're more concerned about actively getting possession back so that we could use our best skills and our best players, because the bottom line here is their defense is, um, is better when it's producing offense. And their offensive stars are what are going to essentially take over um, um, games and, and make the Leafs more competitive. Having said all that, you need to have elite goaltending in order to kind of push that play forward. So you're going to give up a lot of defensive chances. You're going to give up some shots, and hopefully those shots are low or medium uh, danger rather than giving up high danger shots. Um, and you're going to get the puck back more. And then as they get the puck back more, they'll transition out and create chaos. Chaos is the key here. You want to have chaos in the offensive zone. If you don't have the puck, you can't do that. So I think that the least what they've tried to do, and you can see it even in the defensemen that they've drafted. Travis Dermott was mobile, offensively oriented, less of a defensive stalwart. Um, even a guy like Martin Marincin, who I'm not really high on Martin Marincin, but he does begin that transition. If he can't do it alone, he needs support. That's a coaching and, and GM issue. But the idea of what Toronto's trying to accomplish is to push the play forward to get pucks back. And this is what's going to happen going forward on a more wide-scale basis. We're not going to see big, big, huge defensemen that are physical and, and, and really just uh, play more of a rough-and-tumble style that we've seen in the past. We're going to see more mobility, a more skilled play, 
defenseman becoming more rover-like and being like the fourth forward um, at that same, uh, using that same idea, forwards need to be somewhat more defensive as well. So that support mechanism, which really is not there with the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, could be killer. That's where a lot of their issues, I think, happen with Toronto. They don't have enough support from the forwards. Their defense is mandated to do something that isn't conducive to what we normally would consider defense. And it jumbles the whole idea of, well, what the hell are they doing? It's it's a very extensive conversation. We could be here for hours, but that's the basic concept. Get the puck back. That's the basic concept of defense. Get the puck back. So you look at a guy like Muzzin, and, you know, he's good at obviously throwing the body a little bit and getting that puck back and, you know, breaking up the play and, and turning it the other direction. And when you have a player that's with him, like a Justin Hall, or someone, uh, Dermot or Riley, you name it, who can move the puck, it works well, like you're saying. I'm wondering, though, like you look at a guy like Martin Marinson, and for whatever reason, if he does happen to use that long stick and break up the play, he always seems to throw it into the wrong area. I'm wondering for you, and you go, you said it was for coaching or you know GM to, to get a better partner with him. Do you think that some players, when they make the jump to the NHL, because we all know what Marinson did down with the Marlies and looked really well, um, do you think that simply some players, for the Leafs at least, don't have that extra gear to jump into the NHL where the timing is just a little bit faster? I think that kind of comment is, is general, not just necessarily for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It could probably be applied to a bunch of different teams. The way that the, way that the game is changing, and it's changing at such a high pace, um, we focus so much because we're watching the Maple Leafs. We could watch a variety of different teams and focus on a player that does exactly what Martin Marincin does. He'll stop somebody at the blue line because that's a very big skill of his. Um, he's very good at doing something like that. But then it's a jumble afterwards, and it's a bit of a scramble. There needs to be a little bit more coaching, and not necessarily like a, a coach getting in his face, but designing plays to be able to give every player, regardless of their skill set, um, a starting point to how they can begin that uh, transition. Instead of throwing the puck to an open wing, perhaps there is a reset option. And if the defense and the forwards are all on the same page, um, they could at least move the play forward knowing that they can sense that that reset happening. Um, so it's not just specific to Marinch, it's not just specific to Toronto, it's just a lot more focused because Toronto being such a high, um, uh, highly visible place. Um, and I think that a lot of teams are starting to understand that um, transition is not just something that happens when a puck is turned over. It's a forced play. It's a coached maneuver at this point. And then it's just a matter of working out um, a little bit of chaos. As I said, in the offensive zone to score some goals. And then you don't have to focus so much on actual playing defense and shot blocks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the question I want to ask, and we, we talked about this just a moment ago, you said, you know, the system the Leafs are trying to implore needs to have, you know, an elite goaltender. Do you think Freddie Anderson is that goaltender, or is there someone else they should be looking at to use in that system that would be better based for what they're trying to do? You know, this is a bit of the um, the contradiction, right? I think that prior to this year, because I think that there were a lot of chinks in the armor this year from Freddie Anderson, um, he really was one of the best goalies in the league. So he gave the Leafs the opportunity to play their type of game by making some really big saves in key moments. He didn't really do that um, coming out of the, uh, uh, the layoff of COVID and all of that. He also didn't do a very good job of that during the regular season. So I can understand why there's a bit of a fan apprehension um, in naming him the goaltender of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Having said that, what exactly is elite goaltending anymore? 
Um, Carey Price, who was incredible in one round of the playoffs, uh, you can consider him elite, but then he got, well, not just him, but Montreal Canadiens and Carey Price got lit up after a successful first round. Elite goaltending, I think, is a, an element of the past. Average goaltending should be able to, um, with a proper game plan in place, I should put a caveat on that, average goaltending with a proper defensive scheme and a lot of offensive talent should be enough to get a, play, uh, a team to a place where they are competitive enough to win championships. Where they're able to repeat that championship, that's a different story. Because with cap hits and um, the makeup of a team and, and the type of players that they potentially have and don't have um, are all going to cause holes that need to be um, addressed. A lot of that has to do with coaching, and a lot of that has to do with players just understanding where they're just supposed to be on the ice when X happens. And if Y happens, they have to adjust. Um, I always talk about skills, and especially the four S's of scouting, smarts, skills, speed, and skating. You give me a smart player and a, a, a bunch of smart, smart players, you could formulate a plan that is very effective, even if your skill level is a necessary elite, especially starting from the, goal, uh, from the crease out. So I'll ask this then, basically looking for the smarts for the Toronto Maple Leafs, do you think that Freddie Anderson should be the guy between the pipes next year, given the fact, like you said, that this season they're kind of were chinks in the armor, and then when he came out into the bubble, COVID cup, whatever you want to call it, he wasn't exactly the Freddie that we knew and have come to love. Um, do you think that maybe Freddie is now on the other side of things, and maybe this might be the Freddie that we're going to see from now on, and maybe it's time to move on? I mean, I love Freddie, and you know, I like what he brings to the Maple Leafs, and when he's on, he's on, but... You start to get worried after that magical 30 number about being on and off. Yeah, that, that's that's a. I think that there's a distinct dis, uh, decision that needs to be made. I think that Toronto is essentially going to move away from Freddie. They'll probably try to find another solution. The other thing that we're kind of seeing a lot more of is tandem goaltenders. So can Jack Campbell plus whoever they get to replace Freddie Anderson do the job that the Toronto Maple Leafs want. And I'm going to go back to the point of average goaltending with a skilled, skilled group, well-coached and that can execute is a better, is a better method of building your team than having an elite goalie or one elite player and then filling in everything after that. I don't think that Freddie Anderson is going to be a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs going forward. I don't mind that. Um, we're, we're probably going to have this conversation when the Leafs finally do end up finding his replacement and see where all that exactly fits. Um, and who's who's to say? I mean, the bottom line here is as long as they can execute and give Sheldon Keith the benefit of the doubt that he can have a fully off season, go through a lot of video, player acquisitions, and see where they can make upgrades as far as systems, um, I think that that's the right way to go. I don't mind seeing Freddie Anderson go. Um, I actually... There is just one little thing. The cost that they got, to the cost that they paid to get Freddie Anderson wasn't as steep as what I think he brought to Toronto. And if they're able to get some kind of a return for him, I think that all, that, all those factors kind of balance out. He's performed well, exceptionally well at times, but those little chinks in the armor cost them a lot more than just a playoff series. Like there's, there, there, it raised more questions in that 
rather than answered more questions for them. So I think that it's time for Toronto and Freddie Anderson to kind of split off. You're breaking my heart a little bit, but you know I, I'm I'm listening to what you're saying and I and I understand and it it doesn't it doesn't feel well, but at the same time I guess that's why you know you don't get attached to players, you get attached to teams and. You know, you you hope your team can do well enough to to go forward with whatever they're going to bring in. And I asked the question. You talked about player acquisition. Um, if you had to look at a goaltender to tandem with Jack Campbell, you know, the names that are out there like Kempfer and and Matt Murray and such. Um, for you, looking at the Leaf system, a goaltender to bring in, who would you think should be a good target if you were to put on your GM cap and you're sitting beside Kyle Dubas and say, "Hey, this is a guy that I'd uh, beat the drum for a little bit." Well, I, I really don't mind Matt Murray. I'm not sure if he's able to carry the full load. Plus, there's a little bit of an injury concern, so I don't mind that as an option. Um, I'm going to be honest. I don't know exactly who is available. Um, but even a guy, for instance, let's say that they take a gamble and bring back James Reimer. Can a tandem of James Reimer and Jack Campbell do the job knowing that they have enough power up front to outscore other teams? And are the Leafs able to conform and play a little bit better um, with an average tandem of goaltending. That kind of becomes uh, the question. As far as a target, they could probably try to just just find a good, able body. I wouldn't look for a star. You're not going very Carey Price. You're probably going more Darcy Temper. Um, and I think that that's kind of where the starting point is. And then it's a matter of just how much are you willing to pay to acquire a goaltender if you have to trade for them. And how much are you really willing to lock a goaltender in for if they're not necessarily your your guaranteed starting player? So there's a lot of other questions I think that Kyle Dubas would have to really kind of, and I'm sure that he's done his due diligence. Um, they'd have to figure out just what that cost of acquisition is first and how much of that impact is going to make um, on the rest of the team moving forward. I think that in the end, and I'm sorry to break your heart, dude, but I think in the end, as Freddie goes, I think that the Leafs will become more of an average goaltending team rather than having a star number one and a backup number two. There's going to be a tandem in there, and they're going to rely a little bit more on that, that forward group that is able to just score it well. No, that's not a problem. I mean, if you look at the tandems around the league, you look at Boston, for instance, and the success they've had. Yes, Rask is kind of a star, but with Halak behind him, it's it's been a great way to go about it um you look at robin leonard mark andre Fleury. obviously there's controversy there and other things but you know as a tandem goes they're, they're very well um i i can get on board with the tandem um i i don't like the fact that people are anointing jack campbell you know the future starter especially after talking with people in the la organization saying you know when he was given the reins he didn't really take them so yeah i, I could be up for a 1a 1b tandem situation even with james reimer um, I love James Reimer. I was sad when he left, um, you know, and got sent out of town. Uh, I'm in the dangle boat with that one. I love what James Reimer brought. I don't think he got a fair shake of the stick either, but um, that's another story for another day. Uh, but I got to ask because everybody looks at this team, and the first thing that a lot of players or executives or other play or other fans look at this squad and say we're soft. They say this team is it doesn't have a lot of pushback, a lot of fight. And, you know, we're talking about high-end skill, being able to transition to the zone, you know, cause that chaos and score those goals and outscore. But then you hear the fan base wanting to bring in an older Wayne Simmons or a Rackle Gudis on defense and, you know, put up with the red mist and sort of things like that. I'm wondering, Gus, for you, when you look at a team and you know what the Toronto Maple Leafs are trying to do, you've been talking about it. 
Do you think that this team needs to get more physical, or do you think they're in the right path and they're going the right way, just the rest of the league hasn't really caught up to that yet? So I kind of have a, a – I don't think that my – opinion of what grit and toughness is kind of widely spread so i'm just going to state it outright and we'll see where we go from there um i'm going to put this as an example let's say you got austin matthews in the corner and he loses the puck but he knows that he can just add a little bit of physicality to stop the defenseman or whoever he's covering in order for his own player to be able to retrieve the puck he has to act on that so grit toughness physicality is more situational than a distinct skill of one player it's not kyle clifford going in and banging in the corner that causes toughness it's austin matthews making that play so that his teammate can retrieve the puck being situational you don't need to bash crash and smash as long as he can you could you can just get in the way of somebody and that small element of physicality is gritty enough to construct the play moving forward. So I don't think that one player makes a difference. I don't think one defense core that's really hard bruising makes a difference. It's very situational and at the same time being punishing and being physical and being tough is also punishing on the players that are enacting that toughness. So now you got little nagging injuries that happen over the course of the season that players take into the playoffs because they have to act physical they have to act tough so if you spread that grit that grit if you spread the toughness to your entire squad and only use it in times where it's absolutely necessary and focus on your skills components to really carry the play and make you a better team that's what i think grit and toughness is so william nylander needs to make a hit i have a specific play in mind um uh, from the first first Boston series where they lost uh, under Babcock, where he had the ability to make a hit in the neutral zone that would have dislodged the puck from a Bruin player, and I don't remember who the Bruin player is. Instead, what happened was he let up, and they took it into the zone, and Jake Gardner actually got blamed for the goal. So that little element of non-physicality that he didn't use in that particular situation cost the goal. That goal was a back-breaking goal, and it cost the Leafs the series. So it, they can't just bring in one guy. They can't just bring in a group of guys and say, this is our physical, uh, our physical unit. They can't. You have to spread that around to every single player in every particular situation that demands a little bit of toughness or grit. So when teams talk, or people talk about the Leafs being soft, I mean, if you want to put a label on something like that, that I mean, it, it, they can kind of be right. They are soft, but they don't play soft. They just give out grit and toughness in a situation rather than as a team identity or as a player identity or a character identity. And I think that's the distinction where we have to make. Do the Leafs play soft? Not necessarily. Do they always play hard? Yeah, but in a different manner. They play hard in terms of their system. They try to get the puck back and, and cause the chaos, score goals. They don't need to bash, smash, and crash. And I think a lot of teams... Um, are starting to understand that concept. And while you do want your teams to be gritty, it goes back to what I just said. It has to be spread out amongst the entire roster. It can't just be a select group of players or one player. No, I agree with that. And I look at the, the Maple Leafs, and I've long said, you know, adding players, like we just talked about Clifford for a second there, but adding a Wayne Simmons or a Rackle Gudis, 
You, I feel like you might be taking away from what you're trying to accomplish on the roster. Would I like to see the Leafs sometimes have a guy out there that can go and muck it up a little bit and just have the boys stand a little bit two inches taller? Sometimes yes, but like you said, how much more excited did we get this season when Austin Matthews stood up the, I think it was Matheson on Florida during the regular season when they were battling along the boards like you said and you know Matheson was given to him a little bit, he turned around and just laid him on his ass. You know, sort mm-hmm. of speak, sort of put it that way, but you know, and sat him down, and we're all like, okay, you know, Austin Matthews using that strength and that body, and that's going to what you're saying. These guys have the abilities to do it, and one guy that I love, and I say it every single time I watch the Leafs, is is Zach Hyman. He goes, he does the work, he puts in the forecheck, he's always battling, he doesn't quit on plays. I, I love Zach Hyman. If everybody had the same work ethic, I think as Hyman, I think the Leafs would be a lot better off. Yeah, and it's funny because a lot of fans, and I used to do this too, a lot of fans used to describe physicality or, or as working hard. That's not working hard. Being productive in your system is working hard. I would use the terms more of working smart with an element of physicality. So, and Hyman is actually a very good example. He doesn't just go out to hit. He's a more skilled player. At least he's developed a little bit of skill since he's come to Toronto. So he maintains that physicality and that edge because it's part of his tool set, but that shouldn't really be his identity. He's a very good structural player. So he'll go into the corner and begin, um, let's say, a forecheck, and then he gets support. If he's not the one initiating the forecheck, he's the support, and he still plays well within that role, but that's not acknowledged because it's not a hit, it's not a forechecking statistic. It's not something that you can actively count. So structure is more important, I think, than that physicality and that, that mentality that Zach Hyman is the only one that kind of does anything on the ice. There's a lot more to that, um, but he's a great example you break up. Yeah, no, I love everything that Zach Hyman brings, and you're right. He works you know, efficiently, he does everything he needs to do to earn a spot, and I like the fact that the skill is coming and he's potting more goals and getting rewarded for it. But to move away from the Maple Leafs for a moment, I want to talk to you about your career and, and everything in hockey. What for you, Gus, got you into hockey? What struck the match and got you excited about wanting to learn about the game and being a part of it? Well, I mean, we all kind of grew up with the game and we played close attention and um, we've lived through our own distinct fandom. Uh, I used to do a lot of hockey pools in the past, especially as a youngster. And when I first started um, getting involved with McKean's hockey, it was strictly fantasy based. But because they had the ability to go and watch a lot of junior games and and, and focus a lot on prospects, along with a stable of scouts that were able to just expand my knowledge uh, like tenfold and open myself up to new ideas and and change things that I thought were were ironclad in the past. Um, it gave me the opportunity to learn a lot more. Uh, I was lucky enough that I kind of, A, had a good uh, bunch of scouts that kind of taught me how to watch the game, and I was fortunate enough to come up at a time when analytics was really in its infancy. So putting numbers and video together has been something that I've been doing for the better part of a decade. Um, I'm not as proficient from a mathematics perspective, but I know enough to be able to um, generate some predictions and and some assessments of players. Um, And then when you add a video component to that, especially with a bit of a scouting background, it kind of gives you a bit of a, a more rounded view. The one thing that I would also add, too, is I I generated a lot, a lot of time to put into understanding systems. And I don't think that systems are really the right uh, word to use. I think a structure is more important than a system. And learning those things 
on top of everything else um, has given me, a, I don't know, it, it's put me, it's given me an opportunity to talk to different people about different things, introduce new ideas to them, and they introduce new ideas to me. So I'm constantly learning. And kind of how we started this interview about that one comment, man, I've changed my mind a lot since then just because of, you know, you never stop learning. Um, it's gotten me to the point where uh, I've joined with the On Sound Attack. Uh, we do a lot of work with numbers because that's my focus. But at the same time, I'm able to kind of talk to the coaches and say, you know, this is kind of how I see things. This is what you guys want to do. Is there a disconnect between our philosophies and is there a disconnect on the ice? So even though I'm the analytics director, um, there's a lot more involved than just crunching numbers. So I'm blessed and I'm very lucky. Um, and I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, I wish others had the opportunities that I had to learn the game better and to be humbled by the things that I thought were ironclad and were, were, were given laws in hockey, big bashing, crashing defensemen. But, you know, like I was talking about mobile defense for about better part of a decade. I'd rather have a mobile defense guy than uh, a big brute that just does nothing but hit or clear the front of the net. So these are ideas that were put into my head by experienced, very bright, intelligent people. And so I, I'm, I'm lucky. So I should count my blessings, and that's kind of where I got to today. Well, no, I mean, you listen to what you're saying. I mean, every day of your life you should be learning something new. And, you know, to hear you say, you know, from that comment from back when we listened to you on the Steve Dangle podcast until now, you know, and just the way you've changed your, your way of thinking and just bringing more things into it, that's the best way to be is to constantly be evolving. And I wish, you know, not only just as a fan myself, but – you know, as anyone as a fan, I wish we all had the more opportunity to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit and see a bit more and learn a bit more because I think it, it helps you appreciate the game a whole bunch more. And you talked about speaking with different people from different ilks and getting to have those conversations and be enlightened and enlighten other people on things. I feel the same way for myself. I've gotten to talk to a lot of different people from a lot of different walks for hockey through this show, and it allows you to learn and get a deeper appreciation of the game, not just on the ice, but off of it as well, and everything that goes into every moment, not of just the game, but the prep, and what goes into getting, like you said, the structures, and just making sure everyone is where they need to be. It's not just simple, you know, here's math, and this we're going to throw this out here and hope the percentage hits. It's this is what goes into it, this is where we put it into place, and then we add that to the structure of the game. And I think for a lot of people, when they hear, you know, analytics and things like that, they, they tune it out because they think simply it's just somebody crunching numbers and not actually, you know, in, you know, putting it into the system or into the structure and seeing how it plays out on the ice as well. I think they just think it's someone crunching that, and I wish that stigma would kind of move off and people would incorporate it into the game and not just say the only way to do it is the eye test. You know, it's kind of funny, but you're lucky you're in a position where you're able to talk to a bunch of people, even if it is in a podcast format, where you are able to kind of take in a lot of knowledge. The one thing that I've noticed, especially over the last, I don't know, two, three years, there's been a bit of a move away from just strictly analytics. And there are a bunch of pro, semi-pro, and amateur coaches that are on Twitter and social media that are breaking down video. It is so much more prevalent now than it was, and I wish it was more uh, prevalent a decade ago. It would have really helped my own learning curve. But we're in an age right now where you have a bunch of exceptional mathematicians doing good analytics work. You have a, an exceptional amount of 
hockey people with hockey ideas, and then you have a group of people that are able to meld both. This is a, a bit of a golden age when I kind of think of it, even if some of the, the, the analytics hires are, are taking their work out of the public sphere, there's enough from a systems and structure perspective. I mean, go to the coaches site and they're doing a virtual summit um, at, over the course of the next few days. And you can just see the ideas that are being presented on a wide scale basis. And they're very open. Even coaches from different organizations, they talk about their strategies and they're putting these out as public information. It really is a time when if somebody really wanted to learn a lot of different aspects from hockey and they're able to bust through any preconceived notions, you can learn a hell of a lot in a very short period of time. Something that probably took me a couple of years could be done within a couple of months. That's a big, big difference that where we were even five years ago, ten years ago. Um, and I can't see that getting any worse. I can only see more people... Um, contributing to the conversation, contributing to that knowledge base, making our conversations online and in person much more um, fruitful, more enjoyable, because we're not just sitting there as fans, oh yeah, the Habs suck, the Leafs suck, this guy suck, these guys are good, this guy's great. We're actually having much deeper philosophical and um, educational conversations. And that's kind of what I like about hockey today. Along with the fact that the game is changing dramatically, um, we have good, good people providing a base concept for any fan to be able to take over and, and, and gather a good opinion of players, teams, systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and I can 100% agree with that. Like I said, even just in my short time of doing this, just the way that I see people break down, even on Twitter now, and there's still going to be that crowd that's always going to be the same one beating the drum and you know the old way and the old way is the only way, but... You see it now with people breaking down not only just stats, but the way that people play. And then you have people making gifts and showing you, hey, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. And it's neat because all of that is now encompassed on social media or you can go right on YouTube and you can find anything you want to learn about. There's always someone talking about it. And you know whether it's an opinion-based or whether it's actual factual-based, it still gives you an insight of what that person's thinking. And a lot of the big names in hockey are now starting to get on board with that as well. So, you know... Kudos to you and everyone else who is on that wavelength and getting things done and allowing people like myself to learn and grow. I think it's absolutely awesome for the game and absolutely awesome for fans. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, Gus, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. I know this was uh, you know, an interview that uh, has been on again, off again with weather and different things happening, so I appreciate you uh, making the time for me today and jumping on. The pleasure is always mine, man. Thank you very much for the invitation. Anytime that you need commentary, just let me know. And I hope that uh, I wish you as much success as possible on the podcast and your future endeavors as well. I appreciate that, Gus. We will talk again soon, my friend. Sounds good. Thank you. Cheers. So as you heard, that was Gus Casaros. He is the Director of Analytics for the Owen Sound Attack. You can also find him online at Cats Hockey on Twitter. Be sure to check out Gus's work and make sure you're tuning into Offside each and every single week. Great guests swinging by, talking about the Maple Leafs and a bevy of other topics. This is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk. Mm-hmm.